All right. I love you guys. That was awesome music. Awesome worship. Awesome. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, yeah, come on, come on Sunday. If you guys have never been part of uh, our church, you don't have to come here every week. We're not telling you to come every single week. But definitely come hang out with us on. Usually uh, there's two services, 9 and 1030. You're definitely welcome to come to one and uh, hang out with us. We usually, after the 1030 service, go out to lunch somewhere. And you're all invited if you want to go meet us somewhere and go to lunch. So, those chairs are nice, aren't they? Yes. Yes, the tushy feels good. The tushy feels really good on the chairs. Actually, I was thinking it'd be a great sleepover. You could just sleep there. They're, they're comfy. They're comfy now. Definitely better than the metal chairs. And uh, I actually enjoy seeing all your cute faces out there by those chairs. They just make me happy. It only took me, yes, it only took us about like two and a half years to raise all the money for that. So you guys are awesome for giving that. Do you guys remember what we're talking about? Yes. That Ryan, he's always on the ball. He's always on the ball. Does anybody remember what it is? We talked last week about I am. Yeah, I am. Exactly. I am. Last week we talked about the bread of life, and uh, we've been talking about these words uh, that God spoke, that he said, I am. I am the I am. That was what God actually called himself told you that we were saying that every time that we say the words I am on our daily basis, maybe we're really calling out his name because that's his name. He says that's his name. So maybe that's how we're getting his attention quite, you know, quite often throughout our day. And uh, I don't think it's any surprise when we talk about God, the Father. We talked about before last week about the Trinity, the fact that there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the three work together. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because we've kind of used the two different analogies, one the egg, of course, and then water. But I was thinking this last week, because I'm actually going to talk about that Jesus says that he is the light of the world, and I was thinking also the message of the fact that um, what Jesus, who Jesus says he is, it actually, if I have it written down here, I don't know if I've kept it or not. I don't think I did. I think I didn't put it in here. But it actually says in Revelation that um, Jesus says that he is, God is a light and Jesus is a lamp. So I was thinking, maybe what it is is like, if you look at Jesus in light, in, in the Trinity, you could take Jesus as being, um, or the God is the, the, the light, Jesus is the lamp, and then, you know, like the extra, like, rays coming out that it's like the Holy Spirit. That's just something I was thinking of. Anyway, just me. Um, so anyway, I was kind of like going through these, these seven I am statements, and it's in John. Actually, it's really interesting because all seven I am statements that Jesus makes are in that, that book. The fact that Jesus is part of the Trinity should be no surprise that Jesus also calls himself the I Am. That should really be a good clue to you that Jesus is part of God. He's the Son of God. And actually, the, th- the seven statements of, um, in John is, in John 6.35 was what we talked about last week, was I am the bread of life. John 8.12, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, which says, I am the light of the world. And John 10.9, he says, I am the gate. In John 10, 11, and 14, both times, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John eleven twenty five, he says, I am the resurrection. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then on John 15, 1 through 5, he says, I am the true vine. So there's some interesting things that he's going to, uh, we're going to kind of discuss as we go. Like I said, last week we talked about him being the bread of life and tried to explain to you that I think that God had 
really great intentions to use really everyday things and kind of really spoke to us in those ways. You know, if you, if you think about light of the world, you know, what that really signifies, I think it probably brings some um, different things to our mind, what the light of the world would be. And uh, obviously we understand that light is very important to us. I mean, how many of you guys have ever bumped into something in the dark in the middle of the night, tripped over something? It hurts. I am compulsive. I'm a OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and I kind of com- am really like a clean freak. So like I go to work here at 9 o'clock. Every single day I still get up and I sweep, vacuum, and dust my whole entire house before I leave for work every day. Everyone said, oh, you'll outgrow that. Once you get kids, you'll quit. Never did. Um, once, you know, you get a job, you'll quit. Didn't work. I still do it. Um, I started cleaning for people. Started cleaning the whole entire church every single week. People are like, oh, once you start cleaning for other people, you won't do that anymore. Still do it. I'm obsessive. My husband says because of the fact that I would constantly change my furniture around because I'm compulsive and I can't stand the thought that there might be some dust behind the couch. I change it around all the time. So he says I'd never come in in the middle of the night by myself and not know where the furniture is because it could be anywhere. You know, he'd never ever do it in the dark, walk through the house, you know, because you'd have to know beforehand that because uh, you're probably going to trip on something. You know, tripping on something. It hurts in the middle of the night if you've been walked in and you're like, you're, all of a sudden it's complete darkness. You know, usually in our house we kind of think we know where things are. And then every now and then you get tripped up. Somebody left something out or whatever. How many of you guys are afraid of the dark? Or were afraid of the dark when you were kids? How many were afraid of the dark? How many are still a little afraid of the dark? Honest people, that's a good thing. All right. You know, why do we think... Why are we so afraid of the dark? I think it's because we think that things are hiding out there in that darkness. They're out to get us. That's when things are going to get us. How many of you guys slept with a nightlight when you were a kid? Mommy and Daddy are like, oh, put a little nightlight and make you feel better. That kind of thing. They say actually for really good sleep that you should never have a light on because it messes with your REM, your, your good sleep patterns. But there's a lot of people that really are afraid. I always love that Monsters, Inc., um, you know, show because they talked about like what's hiding in the closet. I think all of us at night when you're in bed, a lot of times you think of all these things that could be like lurking in the darkness. You ever notice like there'll be something like hanging over like a dresser, you know, uh, something you threw there, a shirt or something, and you kind of keep looking at it, you're thinking, what is that? Is that something? It moved. It moved. I think I saw a move. (laughs) Before long, you're thinking there has to be something there. You know, um, I think that things that are considered um, safe in the light of day become really scary at night, don't they? I mean, they, you, you could see people in the broad daylight. I mean, usually you'd be out in the yard. If you could see somebody walk by, you're not really that freaked out. But at night, someone walks by, you're usually like thinking someone's going to come get you and kill you. <laughs> you know, that's what you think. So, you know, we really want to see clearly in life. We, we, we want to be able to see everything and let everything be really out in the open and visible. And, and that's what it was all about. So, uh, you know, God, like I said, he used some interesting things to speak to us. And, and really, in the whole creation story, if you look at the beginning of Genesis, right off the bat in Genesis 1, 3, he actually talks about him creating what he did was creating light. And it says um, it was, must have been pretty important because it's like the very first thing that God really created was light. In Genesis 1, 3 through 5 says, uh, God says, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning. It was the very first day. 
So, I think the very, fir- the very fact that he created that very first thing it has to be pretty important. You know, that he created light to take away darkness. You know, it's, it's nothing different than what he's doing still today. God still is trying to destroy darkness. That's his whole entire thing. The whole beginning of what he started to do is the exact same message that he's still trying to do today. Still trying to separate the people from darkness. God created light. There was no such thing at all that was even existed until God created it. And uh, there's other theories, though, of how light began. And this one I thought was really interesting when I found it. It says in Greek culture... They believe that the uh, god Aphrodite made the human eye out of the four elements, air, fire, earth, and water, and that she then lit the fire in the eye, which shone out of the eye, making light possible. Which really doesn't make sense, because that would mean that a person could see at night, and basically that there would never be darkness, because that light would be going on. There's, how are you going to get everybody to close their eyes at the same time? You know, if you got everybody to shut their eyes and there'd be darkness? I don't know. Chances are slim on that. So obviously it doesn't make much sense. And I I think it's really interesting how everybody usually is so down on creation and the fact that a God could create things. But a lot of the other notions that they come up with are really a lot more far-fetched sometimes. You might have noticed on the outside of the uh, bulletin board there that there is a couple flyers that I printed off. Um, Do you guys know who Ben Stein is? Okay, Ben Stein has a new documentary coming out. And it's actually going to play in the crew theaters on April 18th. And I'm going to go that weekend. I'd love it if every one of you guys could go. It's going to play around the country. But actually, what it's, it's really interesting because what has happened in our society is most people who are involved in the sciences, if you're involved in anything to do with universities or anything like that, um, they're really against anybody who is a scientist to speak anything truthful about creation. If you speak against Darwinism, they really destroy you. And the whole entire thing that Ben Stein is doing is he has done this whole entire thing. You know, we know Michael Moore. He did all these documentary-type things, and they play in the theater. His whole plan was to make something that really spoke on creation and the fact that it's real and that it's a, a real viable option. Just as, like, people will sit there and say that Darwinism and the, the, what, that we, you know, lightning struck a, a mud puddle and we crawled out of it, or the fact that we evolved from apes is a, is a legitimate reason on how we were created— He's not saying that you can't have that opinion. What he's saying, Ben Stein is saying, is that if you can have that opinion, why can't I state my opinion that God created the earth is what he's trying to do. His whole point is that not to tell him, but saying it's a viable option. Why are we not allowing that to be spoken in schools? Why are we not allowing it to be taught in university? Why are people who are scientists losing their jobs and losing their tenure because they speak on this? So the whole entire thing is about that. I, I really just suggest that you go to see this because I really there's a whole entire study that we can do on it afterwards. It'd be pretty interesting to, to have everybody see that and really support it. Obviously, up here in CYM and in our church, I think most uh, Christian-type churches would say that they really believe that there's something to do with creation, that God created this earth, that God created light, what we're talking about this week. Um, like I say, something that he did. Uh, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're, we're all there at the beginning. If you read Genesis at the very beginning, it says that all three were actually there at the beginning of time when everything was created. It says that um, the Word of God, God was there, created it, and the Word of God, who is Christ, was there. It says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the build, beginning. So we know that Jesus, who considers himself, he calls himself the Word of God. He was there. 
The Holy Spirit is also mentioned in that very first part of the, the Bible. It says in Genesis 1.1, it says that darkness was over the whole earth and that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we know the Holy Spirit existed, that he was there, he was hovering. He existed at that time. Like I say, a lot of times I think that we're confused. We think that God is just something that, you know, is up there, this old man in the sky, Jesus is this little tiny baby. We make both of them really being hard of hearing or just so, you know, really no knowledge, not smart enough as a baby to do anything. And I think that's what people really try to do with their image, impression and image of God. Uh, we know that that's not the God that we serve at all. So much is, much is mentioned about light in the Bible from Genesis throughout, through Revelation. There's tons. I can tell you there's, there's so many different um, points that they make about light in God's word. I asked you before how many of you are afraid of the dark. Quite a few of you have raised your hands, right? But I want to tell you something. From what the word of God says, maybe being afraid of the darkness isn't something that we should ever grow out of. Maybe we're supposed to be afraid of the dark. Maybe that's the whole entire point of everything. Because what God says is he says when he brought light and it was to take away the darkness. Darkness in God's word is talked as in sin. So maybe we should be afraid of sin. Maybe we should be afraid of the fact that it destroys us in our relationship with God. God, because of his relevant nature, like I said, he spoke to people in ways that they could wrap their minds around. When he talked about bread, obviously he talked about something that people understood on a daily basis. They needed bread. That's how they lived. That's how they ate. It was all about that. And we can relate light and darkness, can't we? I mean, all we have to do is spend a moment outside in the dark, and we can understand darkness. We can wrap our minds around that. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out the fact of light and darkness. You know, there's that point that they make. They say if you take, you know, a dark room, put a light up, and it shines everywhere, but you can't take darkness in a light room, and it will have no power. It doesn't take the light away. Only light can take away darkness. So maybe what happens to us with this whole idea of um, being afraid of the dark, maybe, you know, we shouldn't, lo we shouldn't be able to be afraid or we really should be afraid of darkness. Um, maybe we don't lose our fear of dark, uh, darkness because it just becomes maybe more normal to us, something that we just become ad adjusted to. You know, if you're in the dark, how many of you guys have you ever been into a really dark, dark area? You know, really dark, out in the middle of nowhere. And one time we went um, up to the upper um, thumb, I think, is that what it is? No, it was in Michigan. It was the upper part of Michigan. Peninsula, that was it. I couldn't think of the word. But when we went up there, we were way up at the top of this mountain area in this uh, state park. And there was, like, no lights whatsoever, nothing. I remember Shelby and I, went. we went to walk to go to the bathroom or something like that. We're walking there, and it was like, it was so dark. I mean, it was one of those nights where you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. It was just so dark. It was like, man, it was actually kind of scary because you're thinking there's, like, nothing. You can't see anything. You know, if you're out there in that, I mean, it's, it, is, it is scary. Yeah, being a, in a forest. But how many of you guys have ever been out there, and after a while, when you first get out there, it's really dark, and then after a while, your eyes start to adjust. They start to pick up the little different variations of light and you can kind of tell when a tree is there, and you can kind of see things. I think we just get adjusted to the darkness, don't we? We kind of adjust to it. Maybe we're not supposed to. Maybe the whole point is what God says when he says darkness is sin. Maybe it's not so good that we become so adjusted 
all the time to sin. Sin brought about a darkness much more ominous than one that we could ever possibly see at sundown. I think maybe the reason why people fear the dark so much is because it's natural. Maybe it's natural. Maybe it's the way that we were actually created, that we are supposed to somewhat fear it. Maybe because we can wrap ourselves, our minds around the fact that sin equals darkness, like what Jesus says. I was thinking, because I absolutely love the song, maybe darkness is our kryptonite. What do you think? Maybe that's it. You know, light is what makes um, matter live. If you have a plant, if you, pl- if you plant a plant in a little pot and, and, you know, you water it, you feed it, you do everything, you set it on the sun, it grows. But if you remove it from the sun, normally it will die. It won't live if you remove the sun. I think light is what's making this world even be remotely livable. I think if we remove the sun in the sky, if you took that away, I mean, we all know about, you know, we've heard the, the statistics, we've all heard the Earth Day messages that, you know, if the sun goes out, we're all going to die, right? We're not going to make it. The planet would be plunged in darkness, cold, nothing would live, no grass, no nothing. Nothing would be able to sustain life after a while. Plant's going to die if you don't let it be in the light. Plant always naturally grows toward light. Have you ever watched a plant? If you're like, all of a sudden the sun starts coming in, you turn a plant one way, and before long you look, and here you'll notice the plant's going off the one direction, trying to reach the light. If only we'd be so good with that. A lot of times us following Jesus, we don't do that so much. We don't try to reach out as much to the sun of God. The same truth can be used to us spiritually. If a human doesn't get his light... If it doesn't have Jesus, if it doesn't naturally grow toward the light of the sun, then that too will die. Our faith will die. Who we are will die. Because I don't think it's a real surprise to me that they, actually we have the two words that say sun and sun. It doesn't surprise me none. God talks about him being the light, and we talked about, you know, that he is the son of God. And then we have the sun in the sky. I think he made that purposeful that we could wrap our minds around it. He is the true light who removes darkness and he removes deception by showing people the true path to God in salvation. Everyone who follows Jesus is delivered from the darkness of sin and of the world and of Satan. Those who still walk in darkness do not follow him, is what God's word says. First John 1, 6 and 7 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live in the truth. I'm trying to get through to your heads. Trying to get through in that skull of yours that a lot of times we say that we're followers of Christ, but we're not. We're not. Because we allow ourselves to keep getting involved in sin and darkness. And God's word says, in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie We do not live by the truth. I think that in itself should be mind-blowing. Because I think if you look throughout churches today, this church included, no one is, you know, exempt from it. Every single person that walks in a church is not in right relationship with God. 
I think it's interesting because God's word talks about like when Jesus comes back for those followers. I mean, if you ever saw that one, that one thing we used to play, we used to have it on our MySpace a long time ago, talking about when Jesus says he's coming back. It talks about the rapture. It shows in the blink of an eye that all of a sudden that Jesus is going to come back and the true followers are going to, the dead will rise and those that are followers are going to be taken up into heaven. The only thing I found that was really kind of like questionable when I saw this is that I really think they, had, they showed in this that this church, there was so many people that were still there. And I thought, man, I think you're wrong. I think that we're going to be surprised in who makes it and who doesn't and how many are really going to truly make it. I don't know if everyone who says just because they go to church are going to make it there. Um, Jesus spoke, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember how I told you a few weeks back that God called himself I am? And I told you by definition it means... Um, Singular, I am present. That's like I'm present, but I'm here. Singular, present. Um, Jesus makes it clear again that it's singular and present, and that's what's needed to get out of darkness. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To follow means to presently be doing something. Singular, you. You have to be the person who's present and doing something. You're singular. You have to be doing something. It can't be something that you've done in the past. It can't be something that you've said you've done. It can't be something that you said, okay, I accepted Jesus, now I'm this. He says a follower of Christ, a follower of him. So we know that there has to be something more. Like I said, it's something. It's a continuing action. You know, you can't stop. You can't sit down. You can't rest if you're following somebody, can you? I mean, if you're following somebody, if you sit back and you wait, and the other person keeps going, you're going to lose them, right? You're not going to see them. They're not going to be in your sight. Stop and relate this to your, your faith in Jesus, your walk of faith, how you believe. If you're really not keeping up, if you're not following the things that he says, if you're not really staying that close to him where you see him, don't fool yourself because you're going to be left behind. You're going to be lost. He tells you that. I told you last week that Jesus called himself the bread of life. And like I said, he used that visual because he had just gotten through this whole entire miracle where he fed the 5,000 people with two small fish and five loaves of, of barley bread that some little guy, little boy had. And, uh, you know, he, he knew that people could relate to that. The physical act of hunger, we've all experienced it. We all know what hunger is. We know that we're like, when we can feel the stomach start growling and all of a sudden you're like, I need food. You, you sense that. You know it. And so he used this real physical aspect of our lives to relate to people. And he fed them in a miraculous way that fed their hunger. And uh, he actually also used the, the point in the Old Testament. He went back to the Old Testament and he said, uh, when the, the man came up to Jesus and he said, you know, I remember the scripture said that Moses, you know, he, he fed the, the people manna from heaven. And he said, actually, God said that Actually, what, you know, it wasn't Moses. I mean, if you read God's word, it isn't Moses that did it. It was God that provided that. But he actually told the Israelites that um, they fed them manna, the bread from heaven, while they were in the desert. They were actually in the desert, like I said, for 40 years while Moses uh, helped them escape from slavery. God, so God provided this food for them and helped to sustain them. And uh, there's actually this old quote from this, preacher and I used to listen to him all the time I don't get as much time to listen to him he's actually died Adrian Rogers if you've never listened to him he's a Baptist preacher 
um, he would always speak this one truth, and I thought, boy, that's so awesome. If you read God's word, it really makes sense to you. He would say, the old is in the new revealed, and the new is in the old concealed. The whole point with God's word is all the prophecy that takes place in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. All the things that were spoken. The one really interesting thing, if you've never read God's word, I urge you to start reading it because it, it just blows your mind how many times God speaks such great things. I mean, all the different promises that he makes, most of the time you see this correlation between time is the same, 40 is a something big, 7. Seven. He said seven I am's. You see, seven is a, a, a number that you see so often. A lot of times things are repeated. You know, whereas the beginning and, you know, how things, you know, took place in the um, Pharaoh, you know, with the people being held against their will. And when Moses came in and he had all these things that he let have um, happen where there's, you know, plagues, all the different things. In the end times, it happens again, the exact same thing. What's interesting in God's word is when Jesus comes, you see that he correlates every single thing that he tells these people that he is, he correlates to the Old Testament. And he says again, this is why I'm bringing this up. I'm going to kind of go through to you why he says this, because he actually made a point about him being the light of uh, the world too. The point calling himself the light of the world was spoken while Jesus was inside the temple. It actually says in chapter 8 that he was inside the temple next to the place where the offerings were put. And uh, it says earlier in John 7, if you read, that he was actually there for the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was actually the celebration of the time when the Israelites traveled through the desert for those 40 years in the wilderness. And uh, at that time, what would happen was they would bring this huge candelabra in, and they would light it. And it would signify what took place. If you read God's word, you realize that when the slaves from Egypt, when they were taken, when the Israelites were taken away, when Moses finally let them be released what happened is they were out there traveling god provided all these really cool things for them because they were lost they didn't know which way to go what he says is he was going to provide for them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that he was going to let them be led and so that they could reach the promised land in exodus 13 21 it says by day the lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire he gave them light so that they could travel by day or night so Jesus, at that point, right then, he actually uses this picture again to these people that are inside the temple. He tries to explain to them, I am the light. Because they're lighting this candelabra, and he's like, man, they can wrap their minds around this. They can get it. They can understand what I'm saying, because here they are in this dark temple, and they bring in this light, and light shines everywhere. And he can say, remember the fact that there was a light of fire that led people out of the wilderness. So he, did, he reminded all of them of that. These pillars of clouds and fire were sent as proof God's, of God's presence. These people that were just released from slavery were not alone. Even though they traveled for 40 years because of disobedience, it was supposed to take them 40 days, is what God's word says. Do you know how many of you are making dumb mistakes and are going to take a long time to reach really the presence of God because you're making a lot of dumb mistakes just like those people? I did it for 28 years. I made a lot of dumb mistakes. When it moved, this pillar, they moved. When it stayed, they were told to stay, to not move. That's what the whole entire plan was. And it kept them on that right path. It led them so they didn't have to stumble around in the darkness. That was the whole entire point of it. You don't have to stumble in the darkness. This is exactly what he's saying now today to each one of you guys. He's saying, if you accept me, 
if you follow me, if you let me be your light, you don't have to stumble in the darkness anymore. That same promise, like I said, is here for us, but we just don't get it. He's the light of the world. His promise is that he won't leave us or forsake us, so that we know that just like that light, that promises and stayed there for 40 years and never left them until they reached that promised land, same for us. We too can reach the promised land of heaven if we stay in close contact and follow him closely and let him be the light. But when it, he moves, it means we're supposed to move. If he gets up to go, we're supposed to be following him, you know? He tells us to stay someplace, we're supposed to be staying. Unfortunately, we do just the opposite. A lot of times we're out of our disobedience. We do just the opposite of what God would intend us to do. A lot of times we'll be with people we know are no good for us. We know are going to lead, lead us to darkness, cause more and more pain, more and more trouble. But instead we decide ah, it's more fun to hang out with them than it is to follow God. Then all of a sudden we're like on a Sunday, we're trying to catch up again. Oh, no, 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 God, I really do want to follow you. Or on a Wednesday. But then on the rest of the days again, when you're back in school or there's other people, you lose contact again. It won't work that way, people. It just won't work that way. For us to stay in the light, we need to follow it every single day. It cannot be done once a week. No possible way. Can't happen. Interesting thing, too, the very next chapter in John 9 goes on to really mention that Jesus actually goes on to heal a blind man. I think it's really interesting that he actually uses that very next scripture reference to heal a, a man of blindness, someone who's been blind all of his whole entire life. And he tells the disciples that while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. While I'm here, I'm lighting the whole place up. The Bible talks about how that Jesus is an amazing God, but he says, who right now is in control? He says, Satan is controlling what's going on. There's a lot of things right now that Satan's controlling, but he's still the light. He's still the light, but the thing that's interesting now is, you know where he shines now? From each one of us. We just don't take it serious, and that's why I say the light's becoming dim because there's very few people who are seriously following him. And all these people who are half-heartedly doing, they have no light shining inside them. They're not going to reach their friends and family. They're not going to do anything for God, and they're definitely not going to be able to have anybody follow them to truth because they're not even possibly throwing off any light at all. The interesting thing about this blind man right after that story is he says that he not only got healed, but he becomes a follower. He's excited. He sees the fact that God can change his destiny. And what's so cool is when he's asked these Pharisees, there's always religious Pharisees in a church, no matter what church, again. It isn't the days of old. They're everywhere. The religious Pharisees come up and said, hey, you tell me, you tell me who, who healed you. And he says it was, you know, out of power out of darkness. He says, no. There was no power of darkness. He says, God, only God can do miracles and have the power of God. He says, so this man must be a man of God. They kept asking him, asking him. So finally, the guy kind of gets to be a smart alecky re response. He says, what, do you just ask me because you want to be his disciple too? That's what the blind man says to him. That ticked off the Pharisees. They didn't like that. He said, you know what? You've been steeped in sin your whole life. You were born in sin, and you're going to die in sin is what they told him. That's not what Je Jesus told him. What's so cool is when Jesus healed him of his blindness, do you hear, do you guys ever read what he, how he did it? Spit, got mud, put it in the guy's eyes. Now you'd think that would just the opposite would have healed him, but that's not the way that God works. That's how he did it to heal him. Pretty cool. We have an amazing God. If you guys would read God's word, you would fall in love with the Jesus that I fell in love with. I mean, he's amazing. He's so amazing. 
want to read you a little story. There's a story about a woman named Rose Crawford. She had been blind for over 50 years. Finally, she had an operation in an Ontario hospital. Afterwards, she just kept saying over and over and over again, I cannot believe it, as the doctor lifted the bandages from her eyes. She cried when she was able to see for the very first time a dazzling, beautiful world filled with form and color. But the most amazing thing of all about her story was that for the last 20 years of her life, her blindness was completely unnecessary. She wasn't even aware of the surgical techniques that had been developed and that she could have had her vision restored to her at the age of 30. The doctor said she'd always just figured that there was nothing that could ever be done for her condition. Much of her life could have been just so different. You know, I just want to explain to you the point. But I'm going to tell you, that's no different than salvation. It's no different. Do you see how dark is? I want you to understand what salvation is. Salvation is finally accepting Jesus' light. And all of a sudden, you become this amazingly transformed person. You realize that life is so much more meaningful. It's so much more powerful. It has an amazing chance to just completely change your life and change those people's lives around you. Your light, unless it's really true and real, will never reach your friends and family. It's snuffed out by the darkness and the sin. So every other time that you're here on a Wednesday night, most of the time we tell you is to take your cell phones and turn them off. Do not have them on. Don't have them for texting. Don't accept phone calls. Right now I want to just show you, if in a dark room, if each one of us actually was doing what we're supposed to do with our light, I want to show you how bright it could become in here, okay? Let's everybody take their phone. Everyone bring it out. Let's see how bright it can become. Becomes pretty bright in here, can it? Hold them up real high. Look at all of a sudden we can see the sides of the light. I could actually pick out places on the map in a dark, dark room because of the fact that our light is so bright. It's amazing. This is what Jesus says for us to do. There's other parts in the Bible where he says, don't hide your light under a basket, but let it shine for all men to see. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we're supposed to be showing to the world. Those that are dying that live in darkness, they're dying, they're going to hell, they're not making it. If we show the light to others, we can change their destiny. We can give them that same light that we have. Can I have the lights up, please? That's what it's all about. That's why he tells us about light, because we can wrap our minds on light. We can understand it. We can see what he's saying. He is the light of the world. That's the only way you're going to make it. It's the only way you're going to have anything good that's not full of sin. If you don't get wrapped up in that, you can just have this amazingly fulfilled life. And you don't have to have this remorse that I had for 28 years. All of a sudden, I decided I was going to really get serious. I was going to follow Jesus. I was going to be real. And at that time, I mean, if you read my MySpace, one of the things I had written on there from a long time ago when I first made my page was at that point, life turned from black to white, black and white to amazing color. And that's how I feel. I feel like, honestly, my life was 
just meaningless compared to what he does for us when we really start to follow and understand who he is. Plato actually said, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is that when men are afraid of the light. That's what we need to think about. Why are we so afraid? Why is it so easy just to stay in the darkness all the time? Why is it so easy? You know why? Because light is convicting. You know what? I'm going to tell you as a girl, give me the darkness for the face. I'm like, <laughs> you know, you look a lot better. Why do you think all these candlelight dinners are done by candlelight? Let's make girls look good. <laughs> it's honestly, if it's in the bright light, I'm like, please don't look at me that close. You know, but I'm going to tell you, there's nothing worse than being in that bright light of day sometimes in a magnifying mirror and taking a look and you're like, whoa. I am really got problems. <laughs> you know, you get yourself that nice light, and you're like, ooh, I look good. I look good. This is a good thing. Light shows our flaws. What happens in our society, what happens in us following after Jesus, is you know what? We start to say that we love Jesus, but because of the fact that we're not willing to give up our sin, we really don't want to get rid of all these little secret habits and, and sins that we're involved in, we don't want to grow closer to God. We don't want to get nearer to him because he is the light. And when the light comes in, it shows up our flaws. It makes them more evident. So it's just easier to stay in the darkness. It's easier not to read your, God's word. It's easier not to spend time in prayer. It's easier not to hang out with those people that are going to be good for you and are going to maybe like convict you once in a while and speak truth in your life and say, you know, that's not so good. I wish you weren't kind of doing that. You know what? It's, it's a whole lot easier not to be with those people and, and just continue being with the ones that are out there, you know, the vampires and the werewolves in the dark with you. It's a whole lot easier to hang out with those people because, you know what, they don't pour conviction on you. They don't challenge you. Matter of fact, you feel pretty good around them because you think that you have at least a little light. A little light's not going to make it. It's not enough to light your path. He says his word, Jesus says he is the word of god he says this is a light to you a light that's going to light your your path that you're going to walk on if you're reading it you're going to know the way our god you know people also then talk about the bible is so confusing you know what you just haven't read it you haven't read it because it's really pretty simple he says he made it so easy that a child could understand it child could understand salvation it's men it's people with their their intelligence that tries to make it so complicated he says all it is is that you accept him as a savior, as your savior, that's it. You accept Jesus, you turn your life, you try to repent of sins, and he can completely turn your life around. That's what it's all about. But he says you have to follow. You have to keep up. You can't constantly think you just did it one time. It's a daily choice every day. Those people every day, 40 years in that wilderness, Every day they got up, they decided whether or not that light was going to go or it was going to stay. That was their choice that day. What God decided to do was what they did. The problem is with us is we make a one-time decision long time ago and then every day get up and do what we please. It's every day getting up and deciding what Jesus wants for you to do that day. It's a daily walk. Every day. God's word says, don't think about tomorrow. Don't borrow trouble. Be concerned with today, because today has enough troubles of its own. That's what it says. It's the truth. There's enough to think about with one day. Don't get so concerned about what you're going to do 10, 15 years down the line if you're even going to be serving God. Because you know what? If you're not serving today, your chances are you're not. You won't. You won't be. It just won't happen. Anyway, 
We're going to continue on with these other um, seven IMs. Next, we're going to talk about being the gate. Jesus is the gate. I think that has a lot of good signification. Um, I think Jesus was pretty down-to-earth basic guy. Made things pretty clear. I think it's just us because we're so complicated, and we love things to be so complicated because we like to feel so intelligent that we try to make ourselves so above things that he spoke. Let me pray for you. If you want to bow your heads. Again, I just want to tell you that if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if that's something that you have never done, please come speak to me afterwards. If you've done it on your own, you can. If you've done it on your own, come tell me if it's something that you've done. And if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and you've never been water baptized, if you want to be, um, we'd love to have you be water baptized in our service. doesn't mean you have to go here to church at all. Not a bit. doesn't mean you have to come here every single week. You can come hang out whenever you want, but you don't have to. It doesn't matter. But anyway, let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you, Father, that your word promises such amazing things, Lord God, and just things that we can wrap our minds around and we can understand, Lord. We just thank you for your simple truths, the things that you speak to us, Lord, just your word that's so powerful. Jesus, your word says that you are the word of God, and we just thank you so much for being so real, Lord, that you're not just a... An, an empty book. You had just an uh, amazing, living, breathing, uh, inerrant word of God. I just thank you so much, Father, for what you've done. And I just ask, Father, that you just touch each person that's here tonight. I just pray, Father, that they would, uh, if they are messing around, fooling around with darkness and, and not living in your light, Lord, that they would be convicted right now, that their hearts would be challenged to grow closer to you, to start letting the, the light of you shine in their lives and I just pray, Father, that they would be more and more and more uncomfortable in the darkness. I just pray, Jesus, that you would start to really just help them to uh, just feel so uncomfortable around those people that are their friends that are living in darkness, that there would start to be some division and that you would start to recognize and they would start to recognize and pull away from that part of their life. I just praise you, Jesus, for what you're going to do for each one of these people that are here tonight and also, Lord, anybody who's listening on the podcast, I just pray, Jesus, that you would just touch them, help them to grow closer to you. And I just thank you, Father, for what you're going to do here tonight and the lives you're going to change. And we just praise you for that. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.